Hello, this is Jack Tutor here from Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, the podcast where I speak with musicians and sound artists about three albums that are important to them. My guest this time is Colin Stetson, a saxophonist, composer, film score composer for films such as The Menu, Hereditary, uh, the recent Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Colin has released an array of wonderful records. He's a really compelling live performer. You have that gigantic bass saxophone that he uses, mic'd up in these ways, which enable him to place emphasis in really curious places. Tiny sounds, like the clicking of the buttons and the mechanics of the saxophone are given the forefront. Everything has this skewed sense of depth and scale. There's almost like a hyper-real quality to Colin's stuff, where there's almost too much body and too much presence, to the point where it doesn't sound real anymore. It's so interesting. Colin's new album, Chimera One, is out now on Room 40, and takes this to a new level. I mean, it's seen, as I understand, by Colin as a new thread to his work where you've got these two 20-minute drone pieces which really blur the edges of the body. Apparently it took a lot of physical endurance to generate these pieces, but the end result kind of eschews these images of body and human origination. And they're so vast as well. If you listen on headphones, they're absolutely massive, these pieces. I had a great chat with Colin. He picked four records, not three. Hey, that's fine by me. And I loved hearing him talk about all of them. You could really feel Colin's excitement for this music coming through, and it totally spilled over onto me as well. Uh, If you're enjoying the podcast, firstly, thank you. You can head over to coffee, ko-fi.com forward slash crucial listening. You can donate one off or monthly uh, to help support the outgoings with keeping the podcast going and the energy expended in making it. And Colin's new album, Chimera One, like I say, is out on Room 40. I'll pop links in the show notes to that too. Thank you for listening as always. Hope you enjoy this one. This is Colin Stetson on Crucial Listening. Hello, Colin. Welcome to Crucial Listening. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for coming on. So you're here to talk about your important albums, four of them. Uh, before we get stuck into those, I want to ask about your new album, Chimera One, which recently came out on Room 40. So with so much of your music, I'm immediately wanting to know how you went about recording it. I think on this one, even more so, because it generates such a of hyper-real space that you're in. So it would be mm-hmm. really fascinating to hear you talk a little bit about how that actually went down in the room. So, yeah, tell me about your memories of recording this one, how everything went down. So uh, Chimero, I actually recorded these two tracks. I think the, the recordings were done sometime in the first few months of... Um, of uh, you know 2020 covid um uh pandemic months so it was i believe sometime around the the june um may june sort of um window you know right when everything started in march of that year i had just started work on a new uh, scoring job and so that kind of took me through a two or three month window of of getting all of that um, of just being completely absorbed into that world. And then uh, shortly thereafter, I, I found myself with something that I never 
really <laughs> have found myself <laughs> with, and that's a chunk of time where there was nothing booked and 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 nothing need uh, be done, and so. I, it was it was like a, a a perfect opportunity to get to something that I had been thinking about in concept for years, but never really had a you know had an opportunity to, to to take the time to really just kind of implement it and to see what what it would be like. And so, you know, th- that that being that taking the miking approach that I do to my solo music. Uh, and applying that to multiple takes. So uh, in this instance, there's Orthrus and Cerberus, the two sides of this uh, this album, Orthrus being uh, a duet of sorts between two baxes, and so that's a contrabass saxophone, and so that's me playing two 21-minute ta- you know, single takes on that instrument um, in succession, and then the other being Cerberus that was two um, single takes of the bass saxophone along with one of the contrabass clarinet. And wow. so, so the, yeah, so the idea being that being able to texturally um, capture each take with as much detail and as much um, perspective as was possible the same way that I normally would do on any solo recording. And so there's, there's the, you know, the, the microphones that I, that I use, you know, clearly on, on my throat. Um, there are multiple microphones all um, situated on both on the instrument and around the instrument around my, um, my face and nose and mouth picking up breath um, in the room and so that just gives an enormous amount of texture, color, timbre, um, perspective, um, diff- different um, uh, perspectives in, 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 in space. The, the, you know, the idea being that then I can redesign more or less a surrealistic uh, stereo space um, out of all of those images um, when I'm mixing the record. And so it can create that the, so it, it is identical the music is identical to the take that mm. you know what what happened in the room i don't add anything i don't change anything in terms of that but the spatial experience can be um specific can be unique and specific to the medium of the recording rather than the meeting of the um the uh, medium of of live um performance for example and so that's that that was the same principle with with the solo music and so this became the first iteration of this and so there will be other volumes in the chimera series this is simply the first one and and i felt it pretty um apt to do that in this very heavy, minimalistic slash maximalist um, drone space. So just to recap, so you did for each of these pieces, you went through, did a complete take of 20 minutes and you went back, did another take with a separate instrument, um, did the whole thing again. Were you responding to the initial take when you were doing like this, you know, the subsequent takes? Well, what people don't hear are all of the everything that got me to this point in terms of the composition. So I had already done a great many takes and, and, and practice, you know, and, and rehearsing to, 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 well, not only to get it to the point where I was 20, that the 21 mark um, was comfortable and I felt vibrant, um, uh, but, uh, and strong, but uh, also to figure so so that i had a clear concept of the form because this wasn't just going to be an improvised with one and then a reaction to to who it with the other i didn't that i didn't feel like i wanted that um Mm -hmm. that kind of one-sided improvisation um and so so no it there was quite a lot of organization that happened beforehand and so when i played the first take i knew what the form was going to be and then the second take i um you know a combination of reactivity because there certainly is that in real time you know as you're listening to the first the breath of the first the the specific rhythms of the first that's one thing but also because i can 
look at waveforms while I'm recording and I and, and I can I I can not only react to things sonically, understand what I what I had laid out formally um in the in the first one and what formally this one was going to be doing in conjunction, then I could also um visually react as well um to the waveform. So that's that's kind of how that that process went. Interesting you talk about the endurance aspect of it, these pieces being like 20 minutes long, because I think also listening to them, they have the sense from the listener's side of being not bodiless, that's certainly not true, but obviously dispersed across space, which I think in a manner that almost detracts awareness of the fact that there is someone using their breath to make this entire thing propel forward. So uh, in what ways were these pieces... A demand on your physicality. I mean, was it literally just the duration? Were there other ways in which you're approaching this material that applied itself upon your body in a different way to your previous stuff? That's the duration. Well, first, I'd say um, I I very much appreciate that 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 um, that point. Uh, and if there's anything that I am going for with all of this music, it's really to to have the experience of it transcend that the physicality um mm, you know mm-hmm. to imbue the performance with some amount of the of the vitality and the extremity and the um that feeling of of you know knife's edge at points um that comes from states of extremis and, and states of physical extremis but but for it not to be for that not to be the the conscious takeaway from from a listener's standpoint so mm-hmm. um but yeah for as far as my experience goes that these ones yes it's it's the endurance aspect of it but you can go forever it just depends on what the, the, what you're doing so like if you're holding a kind of a note if i was just holding a note in kind of a mezzo forte sort of uh, you know um you know just kind of a medium volume you could go I don't want to say indefinitely, but you can go f- <laughs> for, you know, it could just go, 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 because mm. what it takes for your body to perpetuate that is not much. Uh, and so, or, you know, mine at this point is not much. Um, that said, the the things that are that are the most difficult with something like this is the fact that much of much of the music, especially the latter half say something like orthrus much of that take is if not entirely at full volume completely maxed out at full i mean it, it's oh, wow. it's it, it is there's there's much of that where i am playing about as loud as i'll ever play um it's it's wow. it's filling up the horn with 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 as much air as as I can, which means that my breaths are, are kind of a clip where it's really just like, because you're, you're feeling exhausting, feeling exhausting, feeling exhausting kind of continuously. And so that to keep that, that's the part of, that's the endurance part that is the most, um, the most draining. Cause if you're, if you're really just kind of keeping it to a, to a, to that minimum where you're not playing so quietly um, that you have to let air out because your your lungs are exhausting the oxygen and, and you have to then cycle new air in. Um, there's a there's a kind of sweet spot where you're just kind of doing it right in the middle where you can just kind of take lung fills whenever it is that you need them and the amount of strain on your on your on the muscles of your face or chest or um, arms is uh, you know is, is very minimal this is the opposite of that where it was really just you're just a bellows pumping and trying to keep the you know the coals hot as it were for the whole for the whole of it so um so yeah and i, I find it i mean it was like i said it it, it took a, i think it probably a couple of weeks to get myself up to the point where i thought i was doing it the way i wanted to do it and then w- when when i'm actually performing something like this it's quite um intoxicating hmm. because because of the um the way that uh, just the immediacy of that how much um it dem- 
some an act like an action like that demands that you be completely in in its thrall you know you can't think right. about anything else do you have plans i know you've got some tour dates in the spring is there going to be a variation on this material in amongst what you're playing i don't know if you know yet or if you can divulge not not in the spring there are plans to bring this Although, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I've thought up a, a way to bring this to a stage that I think would be um, novel and and kind of respectful to the music and, and reflective of what it's like, like the essence of it. Keep you know keeping true to that and not just simply doing it as a duet with someone else or something or or, or doing it as a solo rendition of it. So um, mm. yeah, there's there's a um, there's a way that I'm. Um, figuring out to to present it and so we'll see it won't um next year is quite hairy already but and so we'll see right. when when it gets when we get this when we start to see shows of this but sh relatively soon okay awesome in the meantime people should go check out camera one is amazing headphone listen it's stunning like the breadth of it is fucking astounding mm. so cool so thank you Jack. yeah Recommend people dive in to that. I'll put a link in the show notes as always. Um, Colin, we should go to your important records now. So I know you've done a few of these things before. I'm intrigued on this occasion. Obviously, the prompt here is important records. How did you think about the word important when picking your list? Yeah, I wanted to... It's, I mean, it's a tough one because depending on the day one's asked, I think <laughs> yeah. that you know and 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 also it, it, there are you know when you ask for three you ask for three i i kind of did four just i don't know why <laughs> um it was just cuz i i couldn't decide in that particular moment but given enough time um that list can just go on and on and on because th there are th there are all of these things i mean i could have just have easily said um like uh ivo papasov and his orchestra balkanology that's a record that's just you know um you know has had a, an enormous uh, importance to me um something like um the day the night the dawn the dusk um by um nusrat fateh ali khan another one i mean I, but but that list you know just to um to say that can go on and on and on and on um mm -hmm. these these particular ones i um i picked for kind of um i wanted to try to grab a few things from a few different like maybe disparate areas of listening although it certainly doesn't cover much um much breadth you know ground but it it covers a bit and so band of gypsies hendrix would be important in that it is my first music. It's this music that I grew up on. It's the music. It's the first thing I can rem remember hearing when I was a kid. It was what was on in the house all the time. Is what I listened to my you know with with my dad, um, to with my dad, and um, and so and easily the most influential his his playing and just example. Um, musically is easily the the most influential uh um of any on me from that early age and continue and, and continually and so something like uh low life bill aswell and peter Bratzman, that one somewhere along the same lengths in that early formative hugely influential well more of an inspiration opening of eyes in terms of what was possible also the first instance of and, and really still like the main instance of bass saxophone being uh used in such a way as to um completely obsess me to <laughs> to the acquisition of one eventually in um in the world so so yeah that that led me on a direct that album led me on a direct path towards getting the the instrument that has been so important to me and to my career and to you know just my um my sound as a as a musician and uh enya's shepherd moons i mean they could go on for a, a you know many enya records but i think that if i was 
I, I tried to break it down to one that had maybe a little bit more of a concentration of the kinds of things that that I've always been drawn to most poignantly in her work. And it's that one because of a few different instances there, uh, I would say probably um, maybe crystallized most um, clearly on a song like Afferventus, which is, I guess, the penultimate track on that record. Um, she utilizes breath in such a way in her recording. And, and it's, 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 it's several fold, like the, the, the way that she utilizes breath, this kind of ubiquity of, of breath, air and shimmer. Um, I have mm-hmm. found not only to be deeply uh, affecting, um, but also hugely um, inspiring in, in terms of how I use that, uh, you know, using that, in certain ways, be it in my own music um, or in in my scoring of, of film and TV, I, I I use certain aspects of that uh, almost always, and um, and also the way that she uh, um, creatively layers uh, unisons um, in counterpoint uh, to these very um, maximal. Um, um, proportions to create uh, certain textures and certain presences. Uh, that's an- another thing that that I've been um, very uh, aware of and and um, in, in, you know inspired by. And then Sam Cooke, anyway, the the just the huge, the enormous breadth of all of his music. He has been one of the m- most oft you know listens f- for me for for decades um you know in terms of just how the sheer glut of of his output that i that i listen to on a regular basis and and i would say that this recording more so than any of them really i feel like is a snapshot just the reality of what a performer he was what a talent he was um and it's a live performance captured in at a small club in florida and and i feel like it's all the things that the his like recordings from the copa never were like that Mm. being so controlled and he was so much you know trying to be something else maybe trying to accomplish something that steered him away from um just the you know joy and just really passionate um um immediacy of the 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 the, the performance that's captured on this thing is it's not a you know it's not a perfect performance it is i mean in terms of like it's perfectly real it's um perfectly uh, impassioned it it's some of the most like honest and um i feel like romantic and just like joy joyous music making and uh and it's i i've listened to it you know, hundreds of, of times and, um, and never, uh, grow tired of that. So, um, so yeah, four records that are very important in, in various ways. Um, but I guess with all, all with certain similarities. So I wonder if we could dive in maybe to begin with just a bit more into Band of Gypsies. Mm-hmm. So I remember you saying actually in an interview that you didn't have loads of records at home, but Hendrix was in there somewhere. I mean, was this something that you connected with immediately as a kid? Was it a grower or? Mm, absolutely. It was one of the things that I I loved. It, it was I, I never had that moment where uh, where I was where I ever thought like, what is this? Oh, you're listening to that again. Um, this is dad music. Uh, <laughs> it was quite quite the. Um, Quite the contrary. I was a classic rock kid, and you know adored, you know Hendrix and the Beatles and um, you know Jethro Tull and uh, later on um, you know Led Zeppelin and and uh, Queen and would get and then I, you know, of course that led to my early teenage obsession with metal and um, which is you know bled into my uh, late forties obsession with metal and. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so it, it, it definitely wasn't, uh, was, was always something that was present and was, um, was appreciated. You mentioned that 
Hendrix is particularly influential to you? I wonder if you could unpack for me maybe some of the aspects of Hendrix that have really made a, an enduring impression on, on you. He's he's the most expressive um, player of his instrument, I, I, I would posit, in, for all time, um, the one who made it so identical to his humanity. Um, mm. I remember watching... Um, I remember, there was an early documentary that was made... The, I think the doc was made in the mid seventies. The interviews were 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 from back then, and um, and they had, and so it was interspersed with a lot of re- really in, in interesting and and sometimes in, uh, hilariously fun uh, interviews with people who had been his contemporaries. But there was also a load of live performance footage is you know of course and one of the things i remember just being completely entranced by was was watching you know the cameraman on certain shows would just focus the shot just on his head and shoulders and his mm-hmm. so you'd just be seeing his face you and you'd be hearing what he was doing and so he'd be soloing you'd be seeing his face you're not looking at the guitar you're not looking at the at his fingers um, and just the way that his body, f- head and face moved uh, in conjunction with w- the sound that was being produced. I just remember feeling it and thinking to myself, like, this is a person who there's no, there's no thought. There's no thought in translation. There's no, what do mm. I want to say? How I'm going to say it? Here is a, here it is. It's just, this was... A, a man who who spoke a language that he invented clearly and uh, without without any amount of translation um it it was just an it, there was an immediacy to it and an honesty to it and a um and just a um yeah the the, the fact of of how i don't even know how how to how to describe that clear, like that clarity of, of voice. Um, Mm -hmm. but it was the, the most inspiring thing to me and it continues to be like, I, I get genuinely, um, worked up just thinking about, I mean, those images are burned in my brain and the sounds are are burned in my brain to such a degree that it it was just like, if, if there is something to strive for, um, then it then it is that being so um, true to your vision and supporting it in such a way to as to so as to nurture it um, to manifest itself in as clearly as one can and and so yeah that's a he's he's the big one <laughs> beautiful um, one other question on this one was about. Why this particular record? I mean, maybe this was the one in the home, but I, I presume, kind of since initially discovering him, you've kind of gone in all directions with Hendrix and the experience, etc. So, yeah. is there a reason that this one protrudes as the one that you end up picking? Um, I think this recording of Machine Gun specifically was something that I spent, I think, maybe more than anything else that he did uh, might be the thing that I've listened to the most because I I just sat with it deeply, playing along to it, trying to mimic. um, And so I I think I picked this one because they're just the, not to um, disregard the rest of the record, but this recording of Machine Gun was something that I, I have spent just countless hours with. And so... Um, that's why it would be the it was the one that I brought up. You're in good company, actually, as well. Dylan Carlson from Earth picked that record as well on this podcast, so it's <laughs> awesome. come up before. <laughs> yeah, um, I imagine I'm not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I found another one. Um, yeah.
talk a bit more about this this Bill Laswell and Peter Brotsman one then, Lolo. So, can you remember how you first heard this one? I'm trying to remember how. Because usually I know... Usually I remember exactly who brought me to to something. Hmm. I think this is what happened. I think this is what happened. Um, and th- and I, that, that I think that I found my way to this at the CD rack at, at the local um, tower or something like that. Or no, maybe it was at the, or the used spot because I think I might have gotten this one used. Um, but so when I was, I don't know, 14... Uh, 15 I got into Mr. Bungle you know because of listening to Slayer and and Megadeth and all all this metal uh, someone tipped me off to Mr. Bungle and and so I became immediately uh, enthralled by them and uh, and that first record which had a lot of sax on it, and Zorn was in there as a producer and and on on horn, and so that brought me to John Zorn early on, and so then I remember just being blown away by then the discovery of his whole body of music, and there were the solo records, there were you know of course Naked City and and all of that, and then one mm. of the more um, and then I forget. Which album it was there that that brought me to Frith specifically, but when I started listening to Fred Frith and Gravity, um, th- so this is all something that kind of like happened in quick succession. You know, you get into one, you start listening to all of it. You okay, then you go who, and you you listen to uh-huh. that, start listening to all of it, and so I I was obsessed with the re- and still am hugely um, obsessed with the record Gravity by Fred Frith, and and there was a record that he did with. He did a duo record with John Zorn, and I believe it was that Frith Zorn record, although it could have been a Tim Byrne, um, Bill Frizzell duo, which is also gorgeous, um, but one of these guitar sax duo records brought me kind of like right from... I don't know if it was somebody at the at the record store being like, "Well, if you liked this one, then," <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it 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 was a it was a direct link to being in a store looking at this thing and going, "Oh, the, I, I'm going to probably this this sounds like it's right where I'm at right now," mm. and and then and then just becoming completely obsessed because at that at that time and still now I don't know anything that else that sounds like what they made with that record. Uh, and, and, and so it, it was, and, and is just this, um, this hugely unique offering in music and in the world. And uh, so I, yeah, I, I became completely enamored of it then and still am now I was listening to it again. And when I, you know, in preparation for talking to you, I, I I listened to it again. Um, I haven't listened to it for a, a bit of time and um it's one of the, it stands up in every way um and if anything just gets better um and mm. and so yeah i mean since then i've gotten to you know bill and i have 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 uh played together several times in duo and which has been one of the most thrilling um uh opportunities in in life is you know to to be able to play with him and explore these kind of spaces. I mean, and you know, certainly not doing anything uh, specifically like low life, but getting to play with somebody who was, you know, whenever I get to do something like that, where I play with a um, a, a performer who has been so completely form, you know, um, uh, responsible for forming so much of my musical uh, DNA. It, it's 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 a pretty amazing uh, gift. So. Uh, yeah awesome and you mentioned as well this record led you on the path to acquiring the same instrument as Broxman the bass sax so I I read you mentioning as well the fact that this is I think it's in the quietest you mentioned that it seemed really appealing to go after something really challenging uh, in the bass sax so I'm wondering what that was like in reality like because I guess there's on one level there's there's 
you know, the abstract of something being really exciting, the thought of, you know, having to grapple with this thing, but then the potential frustration of maybe that challenge being all-consuming and maybe too much. Do, do you remember what that translation was like from going from that moment of being like, I want a base sex to then actually having it and initially grappling with it with these thoughts of like Peter Brotsman's own interactions well, in your head. Yeah, I was a I was a, I I focused on the baritone for years probably between the ages of 19 in my later 20s I think it was when when was I 30? Yeah, I think I was 30 when I got the um the bass saxophone finally. But um so I was a baritone player uh, I mean, I played alto and tenor, um, soprano, and other instruments as well. But, but Barry was what maybe I played the most uh, alto and baritone, maybe the most. And I fancied myself much more into the low, the low end of things. And I, I liked the challenge of that. I liked the the physicality, the physical. Um, demands of of that of the of the lower end of things more you know more air more power um, uh, mm. more metal to deal with um, I, I fancied myself someone that was quite adept you know at it and I felt I had a real affinity for the, those for for that end of the, the 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 spectrum in terms of the instruments and so. I figured bass was going to be this next step. You take you take a step from alto to tenor, and there's really there are some adjustments to be made, some some new demands, but not not particular not too much. You take a step from tenor to berry, and you know maybe a few more, but not that much. You still just I mean I, I'm still I have and exactly the facility on my. And, and, and agility and speed and everything on my baritone that I do on my alto. I mean, it's just, mm. it, there's still that. It, that's still present. And and so the the physical demands are not in any way extreme. Or, no, I mean, or, or I, I did not find them to be. And so when I finally bought the bass, I remember the day it showed up. I, I, was, I was living in this tiny little apartment in Brooklyn, and, and it showed up, and I brought the box... Like I dragged the box up this t- you know rickety <laughs> stairwell and into the into the dark. I can remember every aspect of that place. Just dark gray apartment, dingy. And I open up the box and there's packing p- peanuts all over the place. And and I uh, take the horn out and I put my mouthpiece on and I get it strapped on. And then I start playing it and it was absolutely fucking pathetic it was just <laughs> miser- it was miserable it I, and i became i i had like a real moment of of like of like crisis like a, a true like anx- anxiety moment where i was wondering it's like what what were you thinking <laughs> this is th- this is complete nightmare you suck this is terrible um i felt like a child um uh, and it, it was just basics it was i could i had no breath support for for the mass the massive like bore of that instrument my fingers trying to i mean i can still remember how i felt like it was like trying to palm a basketball and i was like i i don't (laughs) like what the shit um and and so it it really it was so daunting and i remember having shows that week and all the dudes i was playing with being like so you got it you're gonna bring it to the show and i'm like oh, easy easy does it boys <laughs> i'm gonna need a bit i don't need a bit of time and i remember after a few weeks i brought it out to do a solo with this you know i was i i had it in the back and i brought it up and i soloed on it with one with this band for one song and it was not uh, it didn't go great it was not oh, for, forgiving and it but it was just this thing this uh this wake up call to say you wanted this <laughs> right and, and now you have it and make it make it work and so then yeah then it's just training it's just sitting with it it's just getting it to to the place and you know it it doesn't help that my instrument is a like early like very early 1900s around like 1908 i i believe although it's sketchy in there the the manufacturer years but it's a very early uh model con wow. it's it's incredibly 
unergonomic. It was not. <laughs> it wasn't really built for human hands. It was just kind of like this is this is uh, mostly in the key of what we're telling you it is, and this is how you <laughs> how you get it to be this low. And so it naturally is a is an instrument that is somewhat out of tune. It naturally is an instrument that that is not made for hands to really be super agile uh it's crunchy clunky heavy uh it takes an enormous amount of 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 air but after i you know i've spent 17 years with it now and and it's uh and it's something now that um I will say, I will say that of all my instrument is instruments now it is still the least forgiving that if I don't pick it up for a couple of weeks wow. and then have to go back to it it is I'm certainly not going back to 2005 but t- I, I you know it, it's it's a it's a building back process where I need to sit with it de- in in a very dedicated way and do particular things so that we are reacquainted physically <laughs> Wow. I yeah. mean, I can only imagine that really galvanizes uh, appreciation for what Brotsman was doing prior to you having the instrument. I mean, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. In every way. Yep. Yeah. Could you mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about what it is with Brotsman that really connects with you? Don't know how easy this is to verbally unpack, but yeah. <sighs> the easy thing is, and the obvious thing, I think, is just the sheer force of nature mm-hmm. in him, just the, the power, the um, f- ferocity, the, you know, the at times just kind of like rageful um, a- a- excess of, of, of him that I, I feel like is so on display when he, when he picks up any instrument, he's such mm-hmm. a, such a, a str- like, just a pillar of like strength and and um and of uh dominance but but the other aspect of it is that he he is he is able to make such beautiful m- music that is full of longing full of like very tender full of introspection um he's able to do that out of what the layman would maybe at first glance hear as noises hear as right. com- completely um at times completely unconventional approaches to an instrument but i never like i heard him in the pantheon of of avant-garde improvisation on on saxophone i heard Bratzman as being one of those players who never sounded like they were just doing their shtick and and it wasn't just it, just playful sounds that were really hard to make it, it was like he's again it's like that hendrix thing where he's fully present and he's just he's he know he knows what he's saying so intrinsically and inherently like it's just it's it's just watching um listening to his um like listening to his beating heart and um and every um yeah you know uh yeah yeah it's like he's tipping his guts into that yeah it's really yeah The other record you mentioned, well, two more. So, uh, Enya, Shepherd Moons. I'm really intrigued to hear how you first came into this one. I mean, Enya was, for me, I'm sure a lot of people, it was just in my CD cabinet Yeah. Uh, from my parents. But how did you come into Enya? I'm trying to remember how. I'm pretty sure that it was my my, my, my teacher, Christopher Creverston, though, if he ever listens to this and, and he, he might object uh, I, I i think that it was him who at, when i was 15 and i was studying with him i think he he said oh do you do you um have you heard this and it was um watermark 
uh, right. have you heard this? And I said, no. He's like, well, take it home, listen to it. It's something I just listened to. Um, I, I'm pretty sure it was Chris. But I just remember kind of, that was, you know, 19, I don't know, 89 or something right around then. Uh, and I remember what that wave of music felt like then. It felt super new. Like it, her mm. music, the, 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 the world that she built was, and I think still is, although it was incredibly unique it was all her all hers she made this thing that didn't exist before and um and populated it with stories and and creatures and beings and 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 it and it was um it was in, entirely its own um and and just beautiful beautiful and uh haunting at times and soothing and all the things and uh that that it is so much and so i think that maybe she made something that was so impactful that then an entire industry got <laughs> built up around Im like uh, uh, imitating it and mm. and it created and it and it and it created out of itself well i mean it the the, the industry created this kind of you know this incredibly watered down tepid version of of you know like a kind of muzaki sort of you know um imitation of it in in like the, in a multitude over many mm. years and so i think that some people might i think i feel like it's easy to to think of her as being part of something that she wasn't she really did create something that then was ca capitalized on um but she she was a, she was an OG like she was an originator of of such a um, I, I think such a poignant and unique um, approach to to things and I mean not that, that she was the only person doing ambient music at that time but um, she definitely um, made her mark in in such a way that I I found to be uh, very you know inspiring and um, uh, and influential at the time and something that I think I have have bonded with more so in later years um it really is the past probably seven eight years that i can say that not that i i ever had a complete um dry period with regard to her music but but in but it's it's definitely a renaissance of sorts in terms of how much I listen to how much I appreciate how like uh, I have a, a bigger depth of of uh, understanding of the mechanics of how she went about doing what she did in the studio mm. um, and and so again something like this I I, uh, I do feel like there are things about breath and i was i was talking to somebody recently cuz i've been doing a ton of interviews about uh, the menu about the score that i just did and so when i when i give interviews about scores and th there's anything to do with horror people ask me about making music for horror um film and the mechanics of that and one of the things that i feel like i definitely use is subtle and not so subtle uses uh, uh, manifestations of breath in mm. that and if there's one thing that so our ears like as a as a as the kind of mammal that we are our ears are keyed up to um to hear those high uh frequencies that um that make up whispers that make up the crunching of leaves maybe the swooshing of a branch or something we have to be keyed up to um to hear potential danger sneaking um mm -hmm. and so so for horror the idea of hearing breathing coming from behind like just over your shoulder or you know hearing the creak of a board or hearing like yeah a crunch of a of a leaf or something um for horror utilizing things like that using like utilizing that that basic evolutionarily um instilled trait in us in the way that we hear and the way we react that you know it's there it's 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 right there for the for the taking and same goes for a kind of there's a flip side to it because it's also whispering in one's ears 
softly talking to, to to each other, the sound of wind through trees, um, the whooshing of of um, that that the high end of hearing a wave lap, uh, you know, at, at the shore shoreline. Um, so they're it's it's there are kind of there's two ways into there and so i i feel like there's a that she has harnessed um a use of of um exploring multitude of breath and um you know massively overdubbing vocals um <laughs> yeah. on, on over one another one another with uh in, in unisons so as to but 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 always she's never eqing out that breath keeping that breath in there enhancing it with reverbs getting that so that that shimmer is happening and that it's all encompassing and and i think that there's something that really does interact on on some fundamental fundamental level um in in our kind of intimacy centers in 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 like a in a sensual way in a in a sexual way in a romantic way in a calming way and um and so yeah there there's there's so much of there there um beyond the fact that i i love her counterpoint i i love her melodies i love you know there like like i said earlier that song afroventus is maybe the most perfect expression of all of of using the kind of whisper um, tone in conjunction with with these big choral counterpoints and um, and uh, it's just haunting and 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 beautiful and and uh, but also yeah some kind of like some kind of intimate that that draw that draws you in kind of draws me in very very instantly so yeah there. And the last one you picked was Sam Cooke live at Harlem Square Club 1963, released in 1985. This I'm very glad you brought into my life. This is freaking excellent. Oh, uh, I'm excited. I'm very happy that I would, could could introduce. Uh, that's awesome. Really that's... supercharged my toddler as well. Um, <laughs> energy is irresistible. So um, yeah, tell me a bit about uh, how did this one come into your life and. Uh, yeah, what is it about this specific? You mentioned a bit before, but a bit about why this is the one that connects. Uh, I think Matt Bowder, great. Um, uh, he's a great friend of mine who I've known since we were teenagers. He's an amazing uh, sax player and composer, lives in New York. And I'm pretty sure that Matt was the one who brought this to me years ago. I don't I don't remember exactly when I think it was when we were both when I was living in New York but it could have been even before then. And so what is it about this one? Like I said I I've, I've listened to more Sam Cooke than almost any other I don't know who would win between like Glenn Gould, Sam Cooke, Enya and um and uh Hendrix maybe um who would be the one I listened to most in my lifetime like just by sheer minutes um but it very well could be Sam <clears throat> so the, it's it's it is just that there's something about his his sense of melody you can hear it in the early in the early um Soulsters recordings where he came at gospel music even when he was a kid he came at gospel music that had a real a very particular melodic sense of like phraseology to it um that was in the culture of gospel music at the time and he immediately started to he, he had he put his own signature melodic stamp on it from day one and only ever sounded like him and mm -hmm. uh which which has always been the thing that i uh gravitate towards um but but there's just there's such a a joyousness to so much of what he does it, his his voice is flawless um and so the the 
the technique of it, the power of it, the, his range, and um, I, 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 all of that, of course, you, you know, is undeniable. But then something like this is, uh, like I said, it, we don't have, or at least I haven't been privy to too many live, I don't know of too many, only a few live recordings um, of uh, Sam Cooke. And this one, by by far is just the it, it's just this it's this um snapshot of hearing that music not in the like hearing people in the studio is great hearing studio versions of a song is great that's that's the that's the well manicured that's the thought out that's the um that you know the the essence is still there but being able to hear just the raw emotion and the kind of thing the kinds of ways that we as performers stretch out and push further and harder than like in in a live context because you're surrounded by people who are going for it and are and are all there and and feeling the feelings that they're feeling um that's a different that's a different music that happens mm. when we're outside of the studio and then and when we're, we're there with with people and so and this is you can feel it throughout all of it there i mean there are moments that, that are just kind of these tiny little subtle things but like the moment in chain gang where um where the drummer switches to the ride cymbal and just starts um this ding 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 um holy shit i lose my mind every time it happens every every time i've listened to that record hundreds of times and every time it happens i if anybody else is in the room with me i have to go like did you just did you just see what happened uh so it's and then the beginning, the whole intro to Bring It On Home to Me, where he just breaks down and does a whole, a whole um, acapella bit yeah. to intro that thing. That's one of the most passionate, like devastating things that like I get choked up just talking about it, thinking about what it's like. It's, mm. it's like ruinously beautiful um, and, and so sincere. And I feel like having someone's human sincerity uh captured in in that way is like being able to then experience it um years and years later through this medium that's rare and it is crazy (laughs) 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 um and so that to me kind of is why this this album means so much is because it is such a a time capsule uh Mm. like of of truly um preserved human emotion honesty and sincerity that it's 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 entirely undeniable um and and i yeah so i i love it I'm kind of lonesome without you, you understand? It's been a long time since you've been in my arms, darling. Oh, Colin, thank you so much. Like, it's been such a treat to talk about these records and to hear why you like them. Like, it's absolutely the kind of thing that makes me want to dive right back into them. So, oh, excellent, appreciate it. Well, thank you, Jack. It's, it's my pleasure. It's really good to talk about to talk about music. <laughs> <laughs> And to everyone listening, see you next time. Goodbye. Okay, bye.